hello, and welcome to the Station Tapes on 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, and on this podcast, I share intimate interviews with some of the best musicians in the world. In my role at rope dope I get to interview each artist as we prepare for the release of their next record. I want to get the backstory, a sense of their intent, and the motivation around the new record. I found that given the opportunity in a relaxed setting, they feel free to open up about musicianship, life, and the challenges of being a professional musician. This week on the show, the divine Stephanie McKay. I first became familiar with Stephanie as a vocalist in one of my all-time favorite bands, the Brooklyn Funk Essentials. When Stephanie picks up the microphone, electricity happens. She's performed with a host of greats, including Amp Fiddler, Roy Hargrove, and Talib Kweli. And her new project, Song of My Heart, finds Stephanie delivering intimate, personal songs with her greatest strengths being brought out by producer Adrian Harpham. And here we are uh, talking with great Stephanie McKay. Uh, Stephanie, how are you? Oh, I'm doing super. I'm doing great. We had a fun time having you down here at the Rope Dope Room. Thank you so much for gracing us with your presence and voice. Uh, oh, it was a, it was an absolute joy. First time in performing in Philly in a long time since I've been in college down there. And uh, it was just the best uh, welcoming uh, to start this new relationship with Rokendope. Nice, nice. I'm glad. Um, so there we go. You talk about Philadelphia. So let's, uh, I'd like to start back with some history. Where did, where did you grow up? Oh, I grew up in New York City. Um, I was born in Harlem and raised in the Bronx. And then I moved back to Harlem as an adult. And um, yeah, I... Uh, Grew up, I'm a New York City girl, born and raised. Do you want, uh, all right, do you want to talk a- about um, family life and your folks? Uh, oh, abso- absolutely. You know, family is everything. They they influenced me. They gave me the foundation, encouraged me to work toward my dreams. So I had an older brother um, and I had my mom and dad. We were a family of four. And then my parents got divorced and um, I moved in with my mom and we were still all very friendly and my family is the main support for why I'm doing what I'm doing today. Beautiful. Were, were your parents musicians? Oh, no. My parents were not musicians. They were working people, working class people. We were not rich. We were, uh, my dad was a, worked for the Teamsters Union. My mom was a legal secretary. And they grew up in Virginia, north of Virginia. And they, um, you know, they came from families that didn't have a lot of money. So, it, you know, they were encouraging toward, because they didn't get to, uh, work toward their dreams. So they, they were very encouraging to have their children find something that they were passionate about. Awesome. Awesome. Um, when did your parents first know about your voice? Oh, wow. This is a good one. (laughs) Well, um, you know, I was very shy growing up and, um, in junior high school, I got picked to be uh, a lead in a chorus uh, concert and a recital and my dad came and um he absolutely cried when I sang the solo he was like I had no idea you could sing like that and um I ended up getting a medal uh for singing and then I went to audition for music and art and uh, I didn't get in but I ended up uh getting a scholarship at the Alvinelli Dance School 
and because I, I was really interested in dancing and my mom had had me in dance classes since I was six. So I um, ended up going to the Albanelli Children's Program from, I guess, from 10 years old all the way to 18. And I had aspirations to be in the Albanelli Dance Company. Fascinating. And where is that located? Uh, that is in Manhattan. Uh, when I was going to the school, it was at the Minskoff Theater on 44th Street uh-huh. in, Broad- in Broadway. Okay. And so from there, you mentioned Philadelphia. You, you uh, chose Philadelphia to go to college? Uh, yeah. At first, I, I didn't think my parents could afford college, so um, I wasn't going to apply. And my mom had asked me, are you going, did you apply to any universities? Well, I was like, well, I didn't think we could afford it. And she was like, no, you have to go. You have to go. So I wasn't sure. Um, well, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to dance, but I wasn't sure if that was something I should go to college for. Cause all my friends were like, you can't, why would you go to college for dance? You're not going to make any money. You know, everybody was concerned about making a living, but my parents encouraged me. They said, go to Philly major in dance. If that's what you want to do. So I went to Philadelphia and I went to the university of the arts and I studied modern dance with some of the greatest modern dancers and choreographers, uh, in their generation of the generation. Fascinating. Is that is that uh, dance program still in place at New Arts? Oh, yes, it, it absolutely is. Um, now they have an avenue of the arts. The school oh, yeah. has, has grown and developed and so many talented people have come out of there. I'm really proud to have an association with University of the Arts. Yeah, an amazing, an amazing school with so many talented, and we, there, there are more than a few rope up artists and related people uh, who have been there. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so how, how, how did you spend your time in Philadelphia when you were in college? Did you go out and sing music? Were you singing at that time? Um, actually, I was not singing. I was really focused on dancing. And so I was in class in the studio. Um, I was working with various dance companies. Um, I took class at Philadelphia. I would go back and forth to New York to audition for dance uh, jobs. So my, my focus was mainly on dancing and, be, and having a career as a dancer. Gotcha. Do you think the Philadelphia sound, though, it influenced you as you pr- moved on to, to uh, music? Or Oh, my gosh, yes. I want to tell you a, a great story. Um, the great. school, the studio where it was located, the dance studios were on 309 Broad Street, and Gamble and Huff owned the building. And uh-huh. so every day I would come out of dance class and see Mr. Mr. Gamble and Mr. Huff just standing in front of the <laughs> the door. Oh and I had no idea, you know, I, I had no idea how that rich, that legacy would influence me later on. You know, when I became a songwriter, um, I would say, man, I used to see these legends every day in front of the school. And if I had only been into music then, like I am now, I would have snatched them up. I would have talked to them or, you know, mm-hmm. But I did. I did know who they were, but I think I was just too shy to speak with, speak with them. You know? Well, also the interesting thing about Philadelphia International Records is, is while there there are some smash hits, um, they seem to have a broader influence than just you know becoming uh, you know pop uh, label powerhouse. You know, they, they, there's there's something about Philadelphia roots that sort of stay in Philadelphia. Yes, so they had yeah. a broad influence, um, which I think is you know why it's a sound, right? Uh, yes, yes. You know, that it hasn't that it hasn't faded away after uh, fifty years. You know, it's still something yeah. to go back to. There's so many artists 
And they were real musicians who honed their craft over years. I mean, they mastered the art of songwriting. They loved what they did. And they, you know, there was such a collaborative collective of talented musicians and writers. And, and mm. you know, it was just a historic time in music. Beautiful, beautiful. I have a feeling we're in another one of those times. I don't oh know. Oh, my gosh. You know, there's the question. Yeah. Do you know that you're in a historic time while it's happening? No, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think so. So when did the first... Uh, your, you know, your introduction to music professionally happened then. Yeah. Well, um, I went to New York and I was auditioning and I was getting rejected a lot. <laughs> and I was like, man, I cannot get a dance gig. What is wrong? What is happening? So I saw this ad and I was like, you know what? This ad said, if you can sing and you can dance, come on down. And I auditioned uh, for a three girl group um, called The Promise, which was... Uh, the audition was featured in Essence magazine, I guess, at the time. And that audition changed the trajectory of my life because I was um, 18 and I went to the audition. It was like an open call and I uh, I and that was the first singing audition I had gone to. And from there, I had gotten a development deal with um, Arista Records uh, with Clive Davis with this three girl group um, under the production label of uh, Kashif at the time, who was a very, you know, it was a top R&B producer producing Whitney Houston and Jermaine Jackson, all these top R&B artists. And that's where I got my training ground for how the music business works and, you know, writing songs, being in the studio, completely green, completely didn't know anything, but was surrounded by you know, Greg Gaines, who went on to play with Michael Jackson, um, all of the top, Lisa Fisher, all of the top uh, background singers, uh, Paulette McWilliams. Wow. Um, so many musicians that Kashif surrounded himself with um, were training us, you know, to be this group. And um, unfortunately, we worked on the record and it never came out. And uh, that was also a lesson. I went back to dancing and... Hmm. But, but from all the people I met there, I kept getting hired for jobs because that was uh, the network that I had started with in the music business. Fascinating. So they plugged into a network of people and then that, that led me forward. Yep. What was your head at that time? Were you, I mean, were things exciting? Were you feeling? Oh my gosh. I was, I was, I was, I was right in the thick of it. I was so excited. Everybody from my neighborhood was like, oh, you made it. You made it. Man, you're, you're, you're on TV. You got, cause we did soul train. We did the Apollo, you know, we, you know, we, everyone from my hood was like, wow, this is it. Kashif, you know, everyone knew Kashif, you know? Uh -huh. And, um, but on the inside I, I saw, you know, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be because, you know, the music business is very ruthless as, as, as a business. And, you know, if you don't know your whereabouts, you, you just sign away everything. You know, you're so caught up with stars in your eyes. You don't realize, hey, there's a business and someone could be taking advantage of you in that. So, so I learned a lot in that, in that um, experience. And, um, and that's where my head was at. I was excited, but I was also learning so much at the same time. And some of that wasn't all good. <laughs> you know? Right, right. 
it's funny how uh, the business is seen from one perspective, uh, from the fan perspective. Um, I mean, I get it all the time with record label. People ask me what I do, and so I run a record label, and suddenly there's just like reason goes out the window, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. It's like, no, actually, I get up and I go to work and I do things and I have struggles, and you know. Like, yep, yep. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard work. Um, so what interests me, you know, I, there's a whole story here, but what interests me as I look back at like your, your credentials, it's almost as if, uh, you've hand selected certain things, um, to stay on the hip side uh, of the business, you know, or of the thing, you know, and I look at, you know, I mean, the credits are, are stunning, but they're, but they're diverse, I guess. Um, when you list Roy Hargrove and most deaf, you know, and Amp Fiddler. Yep. Um, is that, is that just a reflection of the connections that you had and the service, yes. or is it also just kind of like a scene that you, that you gravitated towards in each I case? think, yeah, I think it was a little bit of each because um, all of those projects spurred organically out of people I was around or, scenes I was in, you know, um, so that's how these jobs unfolded, you know, like the business, it's all like who, you know, and where you are at the right time and right place. And if someone needs a singer, then someone recommends you. And a lot of these jobs came from recommendations from previous jobs that I had done for other people. And so that's how my work just kept, uh, unfolding and evolving, you know, in my career. And I was working all around and with different bands in New York city. So people would see you at a club or, you know, hear your work and someone would say, Oh, I got this gig, you know, are you available? And you know, that's how, that's how things work. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was a constant hustle. It, it feels organic because if you, if you, it, it almost, as I look at the credits, it, it's sort of, it's, I, I've kind of sort of picture you, you know, in an open air market, carefully selecting the, the, the things that you enjoy, you know, that's the way it feels to me. Oh yes. Oh yes. It's part of that. It's part of that as well. Cause I, when I look back and I say, Oh yeah, a, a lot of these people stayed true to their art and they, they had a, a, a very specific identity. They knew who they were. And I, and I'm like, wow, that's interesting. You know, when I look back at Khalees, I look back at um, working with Talib Kweli and Roy Hargrove, everyone, had an individuality about them and a creativity. And I think that's what I'm drawn to is creative people and people who are trying, who who know who they are, first of all, and also are not concerned with any kind of um, mainstream success, but they have some kind of individuality or artistry. Yeah, that's it. I mean, they all seem to to be well-known enough, but haven't been uh, sort of run through the, the, the funnel yeah to become a packaged presentation yes yeah um that's a really uh tough line to walk Um, it is it is do you want to talk at all about and this is just indulging me uh but but (laughs) it is it is relevant to the music business um because you mentioned gambling hub before and seeing them and i and my thought was you know well you know that's what the recorded music business is about so in, if you didn't get to see them or talk to them you can listen to the music forever right yeah, that's right put it all yeah. down on on vinyl right yes but the acid jazz scene um i i came across the band brooklyn funk essentials because of 
what I perceive to be the acid jazz scene. Is that accurate? I don't know. I mean, I, I they had a lot of other influences. When I think of acid jazz, I think of like more mellow. But I guess, yeah, I guess it was around there. It was like live music with a DJ. But Brooklyn Funk Essentials had so many influences of reggae music and Latin music. So they were a little bit more eclectic, I would think, than acid jazz. But because I, I don't know. From what I remember, I remember acid jazz was a mix of like hip hop and jazz, kind of like Gangstar. I don't know. What, what do right. you remember? Yeah. Well, the the funny part about it is, I you know, I remember being immersed in it. Yeah. And playing what was termed acid jazz all the time. And, and Brooklyn Funk Essentials was part of that time. Yes. But I don't remember much more than that, except a bunch of compilations. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you were like, mentioning it's that, like, yeah. Like the ancient village in, in, you know, the Aztec ruins or something. <laughs> There's no yeah. city here. The city didn't last. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. Um, so, how did? I mean, that must have been a lot of fun working with. Oh my gosh! It was really the first live training I had. I was with this band for six years. And I recorded, I guess, four four albums with them, just as a featured vocalist on certain cuts. But I was touring with them all the time. After the uh, first singer, Joy Cardwell, who was the lead uh, female vocalist, um, she left to pursue her own solo career after the creator has a master plan. And then I came on board again, a friend recommending me, Joy saying, hey, she was in the girl group with me with Kashif, and she called me up saying, I'm leaving this tour. Do you want to take this tour? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So um, that was the first live training ground I had. And it was really, it was, it was amazing. Really amazing. I got to see, you know, I got to travel all across the U.S. I got to go to Turkey. I got to uh, tour all throughout Europe. And, did that? Uh, mm-hmm. Did, did, did that band influence the way you write subsequently? Um, I could say, no, not, I don't know, because I was, I had my own band before I joined Brooklyn Funk Essentials, which was called Baco Babies. And I was, I was performing with that band in the club, but it kind of, no, actually that was after, sorry, that was after Brooklyn Funk Essentials. Yeah. Yeah. I would say they influenced me as far as the artistic level, like Everton Sylvester with his poetry and how he creatively would tell stories through his lyrics. And um, yeah. Definitely, definitely had an influence on uh, showing me what was possible as far as merging different styles together. Beautiful, and 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 I will uh, again indulging me. I'm going to say one more thing about this band before we before the next. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you that I was at a I had a party at my house, and I set up a playlist, and I had a friend over who had a friend with him who was very much into music, <clears throat> and. Uh, I I started off the playlist with uh, I think it was Stickman crossing the Brooklyn Bridge. And, oh uh, yes, yeah. And uh, the guy turned to his friend uh, and said, uh, "There's only two people here who know who this band is: <laughs> <laughs> me and the person who put it on." <laughs> that kind of explains the obscurity there. Oh wow. So so moving on, uh, you know, I'm really excited about. Uh, you know, I, I met you through uh, Adrian Harpum. Yes, uh, I'm really excited about about this record coming out. I mean, I'm I'm honored that it's out here. Uh, um, about an icon and rope a dope. 
and I and and I get to impress a lot of my friends uh, in the UK. Uh, so, but you know, how did that come about, and what's it like working with Adrian? Oh, it's wonderful. First of all, Adrian is a giant of a musician, a musician, and um, I met him through Jonathan Marin. Um, and he's a bass player uh, for everybody who might not know. And he is um, another giant musician. And he brought me over to Adrian's house to do some top line melodies on some tracks that he had written. Because, you know, sometimes I'm hired just to sing over tracks to give top line melodies. So I was doing that at their house. And then Adrian heard me sing. And uh, oh, I found out he had a studio, a home studio. And so... Um, and Jonathan said, you know, Adrian is a good drummer. I said, he said, you should hire him for your gig sometime. And I was like, oh, yeah. All right, cool. I, I got to come see you play. So um, when I found out he had his own studio, I had to do some vocals for some producers in the UK. And I said, oh, um, can I come over here and record some tracks? He was like, yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. And so I went over there to do the vocals. And then when he heard me sing, he's like, you know, I got this uh, project. And I would, I would love for you to send you some of the tracks and see. And he was talking about Light Blue Movers, which mm-hmm. was this phenomenal band of four giant musicians, um, Daron Johnson, Jonathan Levy, and Gabriel Gordon, um, who Congrats. are all, yes, incredible uh, collective of talent and so he sent me the tracks and I heard Vahana. Well, that was the one that stuck out to me, the music and the harmony. And it was just a little bit different than some of the other ones, you know. And so I, it was jazz, uh, kind of fusion of jazz. So I, um, I went over to the house and just improvised something over the track. And then we ended up writing um, and c- finishing that tune. And that's how, that was the beginning of my collaboration with Adrian because we were so excited by that tune Vahana that we wanted to write more together and and see, because we both had a love of hip hop. We had a knowledge of jazz and we love soul. So we have similar influences. Some his are a little more rock and mine's are rooted in a little more soul and somehow together it makes a nice combination. So it um, does. And and it's interesting. Were were you, um, I mean, I guess right away you're aware of the production values and some of the tricky, or I don't want to say tricky, I just did, but I shouldn't have. <laughs> well, I noticed that he had a sound, you know, he, 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 when he put his tracks together, it was, uh, he had his own own personality you know it wasn't a predictable style he didn't follow the rules you know the rules you're supposed to follow and that is always um something that makes me excited when I work with someone because I like finding new ways to see things and sometimes you can only find that when you collaborate with other people which is why I have so many collaborations in my history because I like learning in the creative process and I like finding new ways to say things and sometimes you just can't do that by yourself you know you could you have to work with other people to open up your 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 scope of things beautiful yeah and adrian i noticed he he hears some things you know uh i don't know if it's a train whistle in the distance or you know i mean he he hears noises (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that, that everyone hears but 
for him, he seems to bring them up into more present place. And, and, and so when he's recording, producing, it has a different sound. I, I can't really even describe it. No, no, you, you, it's, it's hard. And, um, and then you add the fact that he's a, um, a studied musician with years and years of live experience. So he has yeah. that um, intuitive understanding of us, you know, where he can improvise and, and he has a knowledge of, you know, going into the creative unknown and following, following where these moments of inspiration go, you know, without thinking too much about it, just, just feeling it, you know? And yeah. I think I'm attracted to people who, who think in that way, you know, mystic and spiritual and kind of just, you know, follow their own voice. Yeah. Mystic. Now I'm, I'm drilling down to the credits here, which, you know, I, I'm I'm even stunned, and I, I know I've read these before, but I guess. <laughs> um, so I, I see that Jack Snyder, uh, Leo, was was here, right, on Quietly? That's right. That's right. He started that track with Adrian. Him and Adrian had had worked on an idea, and um, Jack he, he Jack didn't wasn't interested in the track. You know, he was like, "Oh, do you want to sing on this?" He was like, "No, I, I don't think that's one of my." my best ideas. So he kind of scrapped it. And then Adrian was still holding on to, he's like, no, I, I feel like there's something here. So yeah. he put it on, he put it on in his house. And, and I just, I immediately was touched by the track and I just started singing. And that's, and that's where that tune went. And, yeah, Jack, and it, Jack kind of sings like Adrian produces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Um, yep. So this is the shocker for me. I mean, I see, uh, you know, on the one track you mentioned Gabe Gordon and, and, uh Jonathan Levy Bobby uh, Sparks came uh, down came well, through. There it is. I'm yeah. like wait a minute how <laughs> did you get Bobby Sparks how did he get you get a Bobby Sparks out of, off the ranch right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. from his own home studio oh wow he is amazing and we worked together with RH Factor with Roy Hargrove uh, and that's where I first met him and he uh, played with my husband, uh, Jacques Schwartzbart, with RH Factor and some other projects. There it is. And uh, so we were just fans of each other's work. Bobby Sparks is the man. He's the man behind the man. Like we dig a lot down in Dallas and in the scene, right? With Spuds and right. And, oh like, yes. But you know, it's like there's always a big brother behind the big brother. Yep. And, yep. And Bobby feels like the you know the the, the biggest brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, good people. I, I have yet to, you know, I think he's been working on an album for about seven years. And we, oh yeah, like <laughs> put that album out. Yeah, you know, we we want to see that. Yes, um, we do. What yes, a what a what a beautiful uh, group of people, and and you know, and a and a powerful powerful band here. Oh my gosh, Light Blue Movers. I mean, what can you say about this? I mean, and then to have my husband appear on Vahana, it's just, just a really, really, like you say, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what you're in until, until you reflect back on it and go, man, that was kind of special to go through this (laughs) creative collaborative process, you know? Amazing. So um, just wrapping up here and I wanted to ask you, you know, now that the work is there and, and it's, and it's, you know, a, a completed project. Um, what does it say what you want to say, want to say to the world? 
And oh, wow. Elaborate on that message at all. Is there anything else you want to say about it? Oh, that's such an important question. And I'm so thankful that you asked that because, you know, I've been through so many different, different experiences in the music business and it takes a long time to hone what you want to say, know who you are. And I feel like, especially with this song, Song in My Heart, that was my personal manifesto coming back into singing in the music business again and realizing why I want to sing um, because I experienced a lot of loss uh, in a period of five years. I lost my whole family and I didn't want to sing anymore because I was so overcome with grief that I was kind of quiet for a long time. And um, this song came through and that song in my heart came through. And I feel like that is really um, a personal, personal testament to give myself hope and inspiration, but also a manifesto, a universal message for everyone who might not want to trust, you know, their intuitive voice or who they are, have the courage to step out and be who they are, uh, despite what anybody else says or whatever hardship they're suffering in life, that there's always that song there and they have that voice to hold on to that they can use to persevere at any moment. And so, yes, this EP and its form says a lot about where my life right now where I want to go. And um, I would say if anybody wants to understand, they will listen to the lyrics of that song. Absolutely beautiful. I almost don't want to put any more words after that. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the 21 Soul Music Podcast. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21 Soul. And you can also find us on Stitcher and iTunes. Our video series of interviews and music discussion is also available on YouTube at Ropadope99. 21 Soul is recorded in East Philadelphia at the Ropadope Room. Our producer is Nick Perry. Our general manager is Fran DeRubo. The 21 Soul theme song is an excerpt of Red Hook Soul by Mr. Michael Blake. Big thanks to all the people who keep the Ropadope flame burning all the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and thanks to those of you who are taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy the show.